Hey there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker, and I am the host and creator of the Bible in Life. And I'm glad you're here with me on this episode. We are going to look at an interesting and fascinating little story out of Acts chapter 12 today that gives us, I think, an important uh, reflection, an important insight on something related to the nature of praying and prayer. So I'm excited to share that with you. But before we jump in, just a quick reminder, The Bible in Life is part of an overall online ministry that includes this podcast, the listener's commentary, some online courses, and it's all made possible by the generous support of people just like you. So thanks a ton to those of you who support this ministry. And if you want to join the team of supporters, the best way to do that is to swing over to johnwhitaker.net and click the Give button. It'll take you to a page on a website from World Family Mission where you can set up a one-time or a recurring monthly donation. And all those funds will come to me so that this ministry can continue to grow and impact people all around the world. So thanks a ton for your support. All right, we have been in a series uh, just offering some reflections from key snapshots out of the book of Acts. And on this episode, uh, we want to look at a story out of Acts chapter 12, and it raises what I think is an important little insight, an important observation for us. I don't know about you, but uh, prayer is something I have always struggled with. I have been faithful in praying But I've had my moments where I wonder, does it really make a difference? I've had times where it felt like I went months and months and months and God never answered a single prayer. And you wonder, man, why am I doing this, right? And sometimes you feel like, oh man, God answered that prayer on that simple little thing. But something that seems so much more significant and major, at least to me, doesn't seem to get his attention at all. And so that bit of it can be really frustrating and be discouraging. And one of the things I appreciate about the Bible is the Bible's honest. It's honest about our relationship with God. It's honest about people's struggles and frustrations and doubts. You read the Psalms and there, there's complaints to God about, God, where are you? Why are you so silent? I'm crying out to you. There's these kind of complaints even about prayer. And Acts chapter 12 tells a story that Maybe it's not the primary purpose of it to to give us a lesson on prayer, but I think it does give us an important lesson, an important insight. So here's what happens in the story. It is really the pivot point in the book of Acts. That's what Acts chapter 12 is. It's one of the key stories that helps us date the timeline of the book of Acts because we know from secular history when Herod uh, died, the Herod that's mentioned in this particular story. And so we know that we're right around the year 44 AD, about 14 years after the life and death of Jesus. And so here we are, Acts chapter 12, and uh, Opposition to the church in Jerusalem has been ramping up. And Herod, it says, uh, laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. That's how chapter 12 begins. One of the people that he arrested was one of the apostles, James. This is James, the son of Zebedee, James, the brother of John. We know these guys from stories in uh, the Gospels about their interaction with Jesus. And we know that they were fishermen and in a kind of a fishing cooperative with Peter and his family as well. That's who we're talking about. So James is uh, arrested 
And not only is he arrested, but verse 2 tells us that he was put to death with a sword. He was beheaded because of his faith in Jesus. James is the first apostle killed because of his faith in Jesus. Now, Herod, after executing James, sees, wow, this really pleased the Jews, particularly the Jews in charge, the Jewish authority figures. This brought him into their good graces. They liked that, right? It, it helped establish his power and control and his relationship with the, the authority figures in Jerusalem. So when he saw all that, he decided to arrest Peter as well. And so he imprisons Peter with the same goal, to execute Peter. And now it was during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Luke tells us. Well, that means it's Passover. So uh, even though he arrested Peter during the feast, he, he's decided to wait until after the feast to put Peter to death. Makes sense. He's trying to establish rapport, build relationship with the Jewish authority figures. You don't want to be stirring up strife and, and trouble during a major feast. So let's wait till after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison during the Passover feast. And Luke tells us that the church was praying for him. So as the week of Passover begins to come to a close, it's now the night before Herod is planning on executing Peter. I find this fascinating. Uh, God could have done what he's about to do any time during the week of Passover, any time while the church was praying. Uh, but he waits till the last minute. It is the night before Peter's execution. I'm sure he realizes what happened to James. I'm sure he's making his, his preparations to die. The church has been praying, but there has been no action. And then all of a sudden, here we are on the very night before he's supposed to be executed. God has a flair for the dramatic. And God decides to answer their prayer and send an angel to break Peter out of jail. So that's what happens. Uh, in the middle of the night, Peter's sleeping. So he's at peace. He's, he, whatever comes, comes, right? And he's at peace with us. He's sleeping. And there are two soldiers chained to him, guarding him. And there are two soldiers outside the prison door, guarding the door. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up inside the prison cell. The, uh, the shackles that are holding him to the soldiers that, that are sitting there guarding him while he's sleeping, they fall off. The angel nudges Peter away, kicks him in the side, pushes him aside, whatever. Hey, get up, wake up, grab your outer garment, because maybe he was using it for a blanket or a pillow, and, and puts it on. And he opens the prison door. Somehow the guards outside the prison, they're blinded. They're, I don't know what happens, but they don't realize what's going on. Peter and the angel walk past them. They walk down the hallway. They come to the gate that opens up out of the prison house and into the city. That gate opens automatically all by itself. And they walk out into the night. They work their way through a few streets. And once they get a couple streets over from the prison house, boom, the angel's gone. And Peter realizes, well, this was for real. The whole time that was happening, he thought he was having a dream or seeing a vision. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden he realized, angel's gone, and here I am outside of prison. And so Peter's like, it's Passover. The city is extra crowded. There's extra soldiers. So Peter kind of has to sneak his way through the city, and he makes his way over to one of the key meeting places for the church in Jerusalem. And he knows that the church is going to be gathered there praying. 
presumably because the church has been doing this regularly. They probably were doing this not long before uh, when you know, others were arrested, when James himself was arrested. Um, but in this case, Peter gets broken out of jail and he goes there. He pounds on the door. He hails for help. The servant girl, Rhoda, comes to the door. Peter announces it's him. She's so shocked. She doesn't open the gate. She runs back in, tells people that Peter's at the gate. They don't believe her. Surprisingly, they're praying for God to release him and help. They don't believe that God actually did it. She assures they are. They come. They finally let Peter in. Peter motions for them all to quiet down. He gives them some parting words, and he leaves town for his own safety. And then the next morning, it's supposed to be execution day, and there's a massive commotion in the jailhouse. Peter's gone, right? Herod sends for him. There's no Peter. The soldiers don't know what happened to him. They were there all night. They don't know what happened to him. All of a sudden, he was just gone, like he just disappeared. Where did he go? And uh, according to custom and kind of the way the laws often worked of the day, soldiers who lost their prisoners had the very punishment that the prisoners were supposed to get inflicted on them. So those four soldiers, two chained to Peter, two guarding the door, those four soldiers are led away to be executed. Now, let's just pause and reflect on this story a little bit, because I find it quite fascinating. The text doesn't tell us this, but there's no reason to doubt it, that when James got arrested, the church was gathered and praying for him as well. And yet, James gets executed. Peter, on the other hand, he gets arrested, church is praying, and instead of getting executed, what does he get? He gets an angel sent to him to break him out of prison. Like, if God can send an angel to break Peter out of prison, why couldn't God send an angel to break James out of prison? If God could save Peter, why didn't he save James? In fact, there's other people that get, you know, mistreated or harmed or think of Stephen, right? In this particular story, God sends an angel to rescue Peter, but not James. Did, did God somehow prefer Peter over James? Is that why he gets an angel and James didn't? Like, right? The reality is, is we don't know. And scripture doesn't try to present this nice, crystal clear, cookie cutter, clean picture of, of God's actions. Why did God send an angel to rescue Peter and not send an angel to rescue James? And we just don't know. And that reminds us that God is the one who's at work. And he's not like a vending machine in the sky where if you put in the right amount of money and punch the right button, you're going to get the exact thing you asked for. That's not the way prayer works. And that's not the way God works. That God is a real person with real purposes and real plans and a real mind. And he makes decisions based on what he he thinks is best. And if we think God is smart and God is good, then we're going to have to trust those decisions, even if we don't understand. And you can imagine James's family, they would have appreciated an angelic jailbreak for him, but they didn't get one, whereas Peter did. And that's just part of life. Uh, I think of, for example, Back in the day when my wife was pregnant with one of our kids and some very close friends of ours, uh, she was also pregnant as well. Both of us were faithful in the church. Both of us were serving faithfully in the church we were involved in. Um, and both were praying 
for healthy pregnancies, healthy labor and deliveries. Our child was born safe and sound and healthy. Their child died in utero and uh, never came to full term. Why is that? Why do we get a healthy baby? They do not. We don't know. I think of another occasion where a family uh, was praying uh, for safety on a flight and the plane crashed and the husband was killed and it wreaked all sorts of havoc for years to come on the family. We just don't always know why God makes the decisions that he makes. And prayer, we have to be honest, is like that. We're dealing with a real person, not a vending machine in the sky, but a real person who takes our prayers, considers our request, and makes his own decisions. That's how prayer works, and that's who God is. And so, in this very story, God makes a decision to rescue Peter. He believed that was the best thing. He had all the data, and that was the best thing. But what was the result of that? Well, the result of that was four Roman soldiers are led away to be executed and for failing to keep their prisoner secure. My suspicion is those four soldiers weren't believers in Jesus. And if that's the case, then they were executed into a Christless eternity. And God has to make that decision, and he has to be responsible for that. And we just don't see everything that God sees. And so when God is hearing our prayers, and when God is sorting out how he's going to answer our prayers, and which prayers he's going to to answer in the affirmative, and which ones he's not going to answer in the affirmative, and he's going to say no to, he has all the data. He has much more of a perspective than we do. And we just, if we could get up shoulder to shoulder with God and see what he sees and know what he knows, maybe then the decisions he would make would make way more sense to us. We just don't have that perspective. And that's where faith comes in. We need to learn to trust God, even when we don't understand God. And I think this little story in Acts chapter 12, while it's here for a variety of purposes in the story of the book of Acts, I think that's an important lesson for us. God can send an angel to rescue somebody from execution, but God doesn't always send angels to rescue people from execution. There's a lot of things God can do that he chooses not to do. And so as we pray, we've got to be okay with the fact that God's going to make his own decision, and we've got to trust that he knows best, that he really is wise, that he really is good, and the choices he makes are in our best interest. And so we pray and we trust him with whatever he decides to do. All right, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. Pray it's encouraging to you as you seek to walk with God, even in the mysteries of life and the mysteries of prayer and the things we don't understand. So may God bless you and keep you. I look forward to talking with you again next week.